Well, good evening, Wooddale Church. Hey, this weekend we are celebrating Veterans Day, and if you are a veteran or active in your military duty, would you please stand right now? We just want to take a moment and, uh, and honor you, say thank you, and, uh, and pray for you. Can we give them a hand? Thank you for your service. Please, uh, please remain standing. Please remain standing, and uh, let, me, let, me, let me pray for you, please. Uh, Father God, we are grateful for the service of the men and women who are now standing. Uh, Lord, they have given much. Lord, they have sacrificed for the benefit of others, for the freedom of others. Uh, Lord, for the freedom of others that they didn't even know. And Father, in so doing, they reflected a bit of you. Lord, who you spoke of yourself that you did not come to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom. And so, Father, we are grateful that these men and women have followed in your footsteps and in your example. Father, we pray uh, your blessing on them, and Lord, we're grateful for their service. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, now you can be seated. Thanks so much for, again, your service. Well, this evening, I wanted to start a message by sharing with you a memory of mine that, that is just kind of fixed uh, for me. It's something that was just so significant in our lives. It happened a couple summers ago. It was one of those hot, muggy August afternoons, and my son, Brooks, who is now seven, but at the time was five, came to Stephanie and I, and he told us that it was time, that he was now ready to take the training wheels off and ride his bike for the very first time. And if you've ever been part of that experience, you know that's a big deal. And there's a lot of components involved there. And you could just tell that, that he understood, and we all kind of understood the significance of the moment. So, you know, the grip on the handlebars was tight. The gaze was focused. There was a little bit of sweat on the brow. Just the intensity level was pretty high. And that was just my wife and I, right? I mean, <laughs> Brooks was kind of nervous too. And you know, when, when it comes to teaching someone how to ride a bike, there's all those different components, right? So you have, have the handlebars, you have to kind of learn how do you navigate and, and how, do you, how do you make sure the bike's going in the right direction. You have to get the balance just right. Sometimes that's a little tricky. And then comes what I think is the most difficult part of learning to ride a bike, and it's navigating those pedals. Well, after a lot of practice, Brooks finally put all of those components together, and like good parents, we filmed it. So watch this. There he goes. Yeah, isn't that fun? I think I ran with him the whole way, right? Overprotective dad. I'm not letting anything happen to that kid, right? You know, it was the thing that you didn't see in that video was about a half an hour beforehand when we were kind of trying to work all those different components out and we'd get him going and we'd give him a push. And then I would yell after him, you have to use the pedals, Brooks. You have to pedal. You have to use the pedals. You ever hear God calling that out to you? You got to use the pedals. Like, what, what, what are the pedals? You know, the, the pedals of instruction, the, the pedals that, that God has given to us so that we can keep our balance and so that we can move forward in our faith. Just this week, I had a use the pedals moment. I, I was in a conversation with somebody. It was actually more like a versation. They were talking at me, not really with me. They, they kind of cornered me someplace and they just, they just kind of started laying in about some things and they had some pretty strong opinions. And at one point uh, in this lecture, they, they said some things that were just really unfair and very unkind about some of our team. And it made me upset. 
And so I, I, I kind of you know, stood back for a moment, was, was a little surprised, and I had a response. So I opened my mouth. It was a good response. And I opened my mouth, and, and it was almost as if I could hear the Spirit of God inside of me going, use the pedals, Kyle, use the pedals. And so I chose in that moment to be patient instead. And the conversation went so much better and went so much more honoring because I didn't respond in the way that I kind of wanted to respond. Now, I think you and I, have these moments in our life where we have to use the pedals that God has given to us. But what are those pedals? What are the instructions that you and I need to be able to keep our balance and to move forward with our faith? That's a good question. And it's actually a question that, that someone asked Jesus in a little bit different way, and he gave a fascinating response. That interaction is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verse 28. So if you have your Bible, uh, please turn it on or open to Mark chapter 12. And as you're turning there to verse 28, let me kind of set the stage for us. So there are a number of uh, Pharisees and uh, Sadducees, teachers of the law, these different religious groups that are coming and they're trying to have these debates to trap Jesus in his own words. They're frustrated at his popularity. And so they're trying to get him. And one by one, Jesus is going through these interactions and he's shutting down these debates by giving good and godly answers to the people that are trying to trap him. And there's a man who is, is listening to these interactions. And it's almost as if in verse 28, he kind of steps out of the crowd and finally asks Jesus a real question, not a gotcha question, not a question to trap him, but a question that was very meaningful for him. So we pick it up in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Not a good question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And not only is that a good question, for the person that asked it, it was a very practical question. See, as a teacher of the law, the, the teachers were familiar with all of the scriptures at the time. That's what everything we would refer to as the Old Testament. And they had read through the scriptures and they had counted up every single time that God gave a rule or an instruction and they, they wrote it down. And they had come up with 613 different rules and instructions that were to be followed. 613. You, you think the Ten Commandments are hard to remember, right? How do you remember 613 different commandments? I mean, if you had a bike that had 613 different pedals, right? Where would, you, where would you sit? Where would you put your feet? How would you even know where to begin? And that was how they thought about it. And so for them, they came up with a solution. They said, well, well because there's so many of these commandments, surely they, they must have different significance. And so they had come up with this concept that there were some of these commandments that were heavy, meaning they were really meaningful to God. God cared a lot about those commandments. And then maybe there were some commandments that were light. You know, God cared about them, but you know, not as much as the heavy ones. And so then if that was the case, these teachers of the law would have these great debates about, well, which one is a heavy commandment and which one is a light commandment. And so the teacher of the law, seeing that Jesus is responding well, to these big questions asks his big question, okay, Jesus, which one then is the most important? And it's a question that I think we still kind of ask today. That we ask it in different ways, but we kind of ask those same questions. You know, we'll ask questions like, okay, so how often do I really need to be in church for God to be happy with my church attendance? Or how generous do I really need to be? Or if you've ever been in a dating relationship, maybe you had this conversation, how far is too far? 
Or is it okay to watch that show or go to that movie or uh, support this band? Like, like what, wh where's the line? And, and behind all of those questions is, is kind of circling that big question. It, it's almost like saying, okay, how much can I get away with? Or what's the minimum that I actually need to do and still be on God's good side? What does God care about the most so that I can get the most back from him in terms of that relationship? And Jesus answers in a really profound way. Starting in verse 29, he says this, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all of your strength. So Jesus gives a relational response to a religious question. He didn't give him a rule. He didn't give him a ritual. He didn't give him a sacrifice that was supposed to be done. What he gave was a relational response. And what's so interesting about how Jesus positioned this is he starts by quoting something that the person who asked him this question would have been very familiar with. Uh, starting here in, verse, or in the middle of verse 29, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. And it's something that religious Jewish, uh, devout Jews would have recorded or would have recited every single day. It was the Shema. And the Shema is Hebrew for the word hear, because that's how this starts, hear or listen. And they would recite it every single day, two times a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. And that was one of their ways of showing their devotion to God was, was by declaring that God is one. And it was almost as if Jesus is saying, you are asking this question, but you need to listen. There's almost a play on words there. Listen to what yourself is saying. You've been saying two times every single day that the thing that is most important to God is to love him. That's what God cares the most about. And so that brings us to an interesting question. If God is mainly concerned with us loving him, then does God really care how we behave? Like, do our actions really matter? As long as we're in love with God, as long as we're loving God, then does what we do really make a difference? And to answer that question, we need to actually take Jesus at his word. So when Mark recorded this, he would have recorded it in Greek. And the word that he used for love right here in verse 30, uh, in, the, in the Greek translation, that word that he used was not the love that would have been a, a, a romantic type of a love or an emotional type of a love. The word for love there that he is using, it means willful devotion. It's the type of love that was willing to sacrifice for the self for the betterment of the other person. It was a devoted type of a love. And so Jesus is saying, you need to have that self-sacrificing type of a love toward God. And look what he says, that we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. That means everything. So Jesus is saying, you need to love God willfully, for, for, not for the betterment of yourself, and you need to love God completely with everything. And so in that regard, yes, how we behave does matter to God maybe not because of the reason that you might think. See, there are two different ways to approach God. And we actually see this in the interaction between Jesus and this teacher of the law. The first way to approach God is a rules and reward approach to God. And we see this in the way in which the teacher of the law positions the question, what's most important to God? What can kind of score me the most amount of points with God? 
And the rules and reward approaches is essentially this. It basically has this idea that there's a whole list of rules and that if we follow them, we receive the rewards. And it has the idea that some of those rules are significant and some of them are less or so, and the rewards are based on that. So if I follow the small rules, then I should get the small rewards. But if I follow the big rules, right, like, like volunteering in the nursery, right, like the big rules of the faith, then God is gonna give me some big rewards. And oftentimes we think about this in the negative. Right, because we think, all right, so if I break the small rules, you know, God kind of understands because, you know, we're not perfect and he gets that we're not perfect. But if I break the big rules, then I'm in big trouble and I owe God big time. And the problem with the rules and rewards way of approaching God is it leaves us in a cycle that it seems like we can never get out of. Because the cycle understands that there are all these rules and we try to keep them, but we don't live up to that standard. And so we fall short and we have guilt and we have shame. And to try to get rid of our guilt and shame, we try to do more stuff for God to maybe try to cancel it out. But that eventually leads us to not being able to keep all those rules and commandments anyway. And then we're back to the guilt and shame and we're stuck in this endless cycle that we feel like we're not getting anywhere. And it's almost as if we are pedaling a bike without a chain. There's a lot of effort and we just don't feel like we're, we're getting anywhere. And one of the things that's about this rules and reward approach to God is that it is all based on trying to put someone in debt. You say, well, how, how is that? Well, think about it. The rules and reward approach says that if I don't live up to God's rules, that I become in his debt. I owe God. But if I keep the rules, God's in my debt and God owes me. And that sounds so arrogant and harsh to say, but we think that way often. And you hear it when people say, I don't understand why this thing happened to me because I've been such a good person. And that is someone giving an indication that they have a rules and reward approach to their relationship with God. But Jesus gives an entirely different way to approach God. His is not a rules and reward, but it is a relational response. See, what Jesus is saying is that we need to respond to God in terms of relationships, but we're not the one that initiates the relationship. God is. And our job isn't to start. Our job is to respond to what God has already started. See, the rules and reward approach has this idea that we're at neutral with God. And so that our relationship with God is based on our actions. But, but the relational response says, no, that's not true. We don't ever start at neutral with God. We started like way down here. And there's nothing that we can ever do to even get back to even or neutral with God, that we were born into rebellion against God. And there's almost kind of like everything within our nature wants to control our own lives. And, and we kind of push God away. And so what God has done, not because we deserved it, but because he loved us, is he made a way for us to be in relationship with him. And the relational response says, I acknowledge that, I understand that, I get that. And so my job, my duty, my action is to respond to God back in loving him in much the same way he has loved me. I love how author and pastor Tim Keller puts it about this idea. He says this, he says, the power of the gospel comes in two movements. It first says, I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. 
but then quickly follows with, I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. That's the relational response. It understands who we are in light of God, and it understands how much God has loved us. And it just compels us to respond back in love. Do you know that God loves you that much? That God cares about you that much? I, I want to read to you a, a, a passage, a, a little paragraph that was written by an author by the name of Kenneth Boa. And he describes God's love for us. And as I read this, I want you to visualize that this is how God thinks about you. And this is how much God loves you. To know God is to love him. Because the more we grasp, not merely in our minds, but also in our experience, who he is and what he has done for us, the more our hearts will respond in love and gratitude. When we discover that the personal author of time, space, matter, and energy has, for some incomprehensible reason, chosen to love us to the point of infinite sacrifice, we begin to embrace the unconditional security that we have longed for all our lives. God's love for us is spontaneous, free, uncaused, and undeserved. He did not set his love on us because we were lovable, beautiful, or clever, because in our sin we were unlovable, ugly, and foolish. He loved us because he chose to love us. And as we expand our vision of our acceptance and security in Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, we begin to realize that God is not the enemy of our joy, but that he is the source of our joy. God loves you that much. And how can we not respond to him in any other way but love? 1 John 4.19 says this, we love because he first loved us. This love relationship did not start with us God initiated it. And what he is calling us to do is to respond back to him in love. And that love isn't just directed toward God, but it spills over into our relationships with other people. That's why Jesus continued on this idea of the greatest commandment with this. Jesus goes on, he says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And when he says these, he is tying together love God and love others. For Jesus, there's no separation between the two. If you love God, if you truly love God, if you are responding to God in love, then you will love other people. And when Jesus says other people, he didn't just mean the people that are lovable or the people that are likable. He meant everybody. The people that we don't like, the people that are difficult, our boss, that person down the street that drives us crazy, our enemy, we're supposed to love Everyone. But let me ask you a question. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard this before, that you're supposed to love other people. And even if you've never been in church, if this is your very first time, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Keep coming, keep coming back. But even if you've never been to church, you kind of have this idea that you're supposed to be kind to other people or it would be a good idea to love other people. But let me ask you a question that no one ever asks when it comes to loving other people. Why? Why should you love other people? People are really hard to love. I'm hard to love. I, other people are really hard to love. Have you ever noticed that? 
Why are we supposed to love other people? Well, a rules and reward approach to God would say, well, we're supposed to love other people because, you know, if, if we're loving to them, then eventually, you know, people are going to be loving to us and kind of what goes around comes around. And, and basically the heart of that is it's going to be good for me to love other people. And that's why I do it. But a relational response to God says, no, the reason that I need to love others is because I love God. And when I love God, I love what God loves and God loves people. And oftentimes God wants to love other people through us. You can't love God and not love others. In effect, they are the two pedals of the bike. And the thing about bike pedals is when you move one, you move the other. You ever, you ever tried to, to pedal a bike with just one leg? It, it doesn't work. You don't get anywhere. Why? You have to use both pedals because they move with each other. And so we are called to love God and to love others. It's the greatest commandment, and it's what God is most concerned about. So the question is, how do we practically do that? How do we live this out in a practical way? So we here at Wooddale Church have a series of values they're things that we hold dear. They're things that, that really stem from our belief. And our belief is that God has called us to love God and to love others. And so that needs to manifest itself in, in a number of actions, some behaviors that, that we fall into. Now, these behaviors are, are not certain things that will allow us to be lovable by God, but they're in response to God's love. And, and so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna share with you those values. And as I put them up, they fall into two categories, loving God and loving others. And I wanna encourage each of us to pick one. Pick one of those 10 items, one of those 10 values that you feel like you need to put into practice in your life this week. Great opportunity for us to pick one of those pedals that we need to push on. Here's that first list. Under loving God, some of the values that we have here at Wooddale Church is that we're God-centered. That just means that we recognize that our entire life needs to be centered around God because God has initiated everything for us. And so our relationship with God shouldn't just be an accessory to our life. Our entire life needs to be, needs to be centered around God. The second is that we are God-commissioned. And we understand that's true for our church, but that's also true for our personal lives as well. God commissioned simply means God has sent us, that God sent us out, that God sent us out with a purpose. See, when you understand that God has sent you on a mission and that there is purpose behind that mission, it prevents us from complaining about things. And it's so easy for us to complain about the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in in our life. But when we have the value and we're reminded that God has sent us on this mission, it reminds us that this is from God and a great way to love God is not to complain about the mission that he sent us on. The third is that we're Bible-based. We don't make up uh, these ideas about God out of our own head or you know, we don't kind of get together and kind of figure out what we think God might be like and approach him based on our own ideas. We start with what God has said about himself. And when you love somebody, you pay attention to what they say. And so that's why we encourage you to be reading your Bible every single day. We encourage you to do that daily, not so that God will love you, but so that you will love God. Because the more you read from him about you and how much he loves and cares for you and has a plan and a purpose for you, it causes us to want to love him all the more. The fourth is this idea of joy. And you heard that from the quote from Kenneth Boa. When we understand how much God has loved us and that God has set eternity 
for us, it gives to us a joy. Not, not that's kind of always happy and, and you're not paying attention to what's going on in the real world, but just it, it's a different perspective. You have peace and hope and there's this joy that doesn't compare to anything else because we realize that we are loved by God. And the fifth, when it comes to loving God, is that we're prayer reliant. When you love somebody, you talk to them, you communicate with them. And that's what prayer does. It's an opportunity for us to commune and connect with God. And when we are praying about things and when we are reliant on that prayer relationship, it begins to change our perspective. And one of the areas and one of the perspectives that it often changes is our view of other people. And that's that second pedal we need to push, loving other people. Some of the values that we have around loving others is that we're outward reaching. That when we talk about outward reaching, that just means that we wanna tell other people about Jesus. Because here's the thing is that when you love other people, you want them to know that they too are loved by God. It's just a natural response. And so if you have ever find that you are in a situation where you just kind of don't feel like reaching out to those who don't know about God, then I wanna encourage you, you might need to push on the pedal of loving God a little bit more. Because the more we love him and realize the relationship that we're in with him, it compels us to wanna tell other people about it. The next is future looking. Here at Wooddale Church, when we talk about future looking, it just means we're, we're concerned about the next generation, that we wanna invest in the generation that's to come. Did you know this? Did you know that four of our global partners and two of our pastors on staff grew up here at Wooddale Church? They went through the children's ministry program. They went through the student ministry program. They graduated, they came back, and they're now on staff helping to lead this congregation. That's just such a powerful image of being future looking. And that should be something for each of us in our lives. A great way to love other people is to think about what their future is gonna be like and help set them up for success. Take our wisdom and our learned experience and give it to the generation that's to come. And a real practical way to do that is to help make disciples in that process. We don't want people just to know that God loves them. We here at the church, and we wanna encourage you to have this value too, to come alongside and help them grow in that love relationship with God. Don't just leave them where they are, but help them to grow and experience more of God's love. That's why we have a great discipleship series coming up in January. I'm so excited about it. If there is, if there is one series not to miss all next year, it is the discipleship series in January. And it's all about helping people grow in that love relationship with God. When you help someone else understand more of who God is and how he loves them, it's a great way for you to be loving toward them. And that relates to the ninth value we have here at Wooddale, and that's just that we're a kingdom building. That means that we're focused on God's message. We talk about the kingdom. It just means the church and the message of Jesus. And we wanna get that message out here, near and far. And you hear that phrase so often. And the reason you do is because a great way to love others is to give them a local church nearby that can have the love of God flow through those people into that community. And the final value is that when we love other people, it should compel us to be generous but not just generous, profoundly generous. Now, our generosity as those who are loved by God and desiring to give the love of God away to other people should be reflected in how generous we are. And that's not just with our finances, but it's in every aspect of our life, our time, our talents, and our treasure. Let me ask this, as you look back over the last year and you consider all that you've done for others, if someone was to look at your generosity, 
Would they say that you are someone who loves God and loves others? Or would it be reflective of somebody who loves themselves? And that sure has been convicting for me to look at my life over the last year, and it might be for you as well. So which one? Which one of these values do you need to embrace? Do you need to pick up? Do you need to, to start pushing on that pedal this week to help you be able to better love God or better love others through the love that God has given to you? So how the, how the interaction end? How this religious teacher take Jesus' response to his big important question? Let's find out. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is, the, is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So he gets it. The guy gets it. He goes, Jesus, you're right. That's exactly correct. And then Jesus said this. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And then no one dared to ask him any more questions. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? You're not far from the kingdom of God. It's a little different from being in the kingdom of God. I wonder what the distinction was. Why was he close but not yet in? And I wonder if it isn't because there's a difference between knowing the right answer and then actually doing it. Church, I don't want you just to know that the greatest call on your life is to love God and to love others. I want to encourage you and I to actually do it. Because that's what God is asking for us to push on those pedals so that we can keep our balance and so that we can move forward in our faith. But to do so, we actually have to live this out. Just like Jesus did. His love for us wasn't just talk, it was action. And his love for us drew him to the cross where he was crucified, where he suffered a painful and a horrible death that was rightly due for you and me. But he did so because he loved us and didn't want us to have to experience that. And he did so so that you and I could have that love relationship with God. And so it's our opportunity now to respond to that love. And that's what we remember and celebrate with Holy Communion. Father God, as we come now to the table to celebrate communion, Lord, we do so being reminded of the great love and the great sacrifice that you have given to us. Lord, your love for us wasn't just words. Lord, it wasn't a whole series of commandments to follow. Father, it was a relationship. And Lord, one that cost you dearly. And so, Father, as we come to the table this evening to celebrate communion, Lord, let us be reminded that this was a relationship that you initiated and a relationship that you wanted so desperately that it, it, you gave your very self so that we could experience and rest in your love. So, Father, let this not just be a ritual that we follow, 
or a religious ceremony. Father, let this be a relationship communion over a meal with you, our great God. And Father, during this time of communion, may you speak to us through your spirit. And Lord, may you reveal to each one of us where we can love you in a greater way. Or Lord, where we can love the people that you love in a greater way. Lord, we're grateful for this meal, but Lord, we're grateful for Jesus, for the example that he has given to us, for the relationship with you that he has made possible. And it is in his name we pray, amen. Church here at Wooddale, anyone is welcome to join us in communion. You do not need to be a member of this church. We do ask though that you are a member of God's family, that you are someone who's accepted that relationship that Jesus has given to us. Just a moment, the servers are gonna pass the elements. They come in two cups, pick up both of them at the same time. And then we wanna encourage you to use this time to commune with God, to let him know that you love him and to let him remind you of how much he loves you. And communion, bread represents the body that Christ gave. And the cup represents the blood that he shed. It represents a new covenant. And it's because of that new covenant that we can even come and gather and have this meal and be able to experience the love of God personally.
yet taken those elements, I want to invite you to do so now. One of the privileges we have as a community is after we have communion together, we get an opportunity to put what Christ has called us to do right into action. This is something called our Compassion Fund. It goes to meet the physical and financial needs of those within our community. So as you give, know that this is a great opportunity for you to be generous as God has been generous with you. Father, as we now collect up this special offering that will go to the financial needs of those who are in difficult circumstances, Father, we pray that you would, through this offering, be able to meet their physical needs. But Lord, we pray, God, we pray that you would meet their spiritual needs. Lord, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a God who is real and who loves them. So Father, may these gifts go to that end. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Dale's not here, so we're going to do something a little bit special tonight, and uh, maybe he can email me later. If you're watching online, Dale, hey. We just sang about the powerful name of Jesus. It's that, it's that Jesus that loves you, and he is asking us to respond to him in love. So I'm going to ask Donna and the band to pick up that last verse. And for us to have an opportunity to sing it again and to respond to the great love 
that God has given to us.